Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Almost home, that's right. And um, so I thought I would share with you this message this morning entitled, The End is Not Near, It's Here. You know, we talk a lot about the end. In fact, some people are watching all the events and, and things that are happening in Washington, things that are happening in Rome, and all the things that are happening in the world, and they're the, the end's almost here. Well, the, what, what I think we're going to conclude this morning is that it's not almost here. It's here. Amen. We're living in the time of the end. You know, I had a, a, a childhood experience when I was a little boy. Um, there was a church member, not in our church, but a church not too far away, that um, was really into studying prophecy. And he had all kinds of ideas, which, um, which we won't get into today. Some of them were probably good ideas. Some of them might not have been so good ideas, like uh, setting the year which Jesus was going to come. It was going to be 1985, and then it was going to be 1986, and then it was going to be, well, Jesus didn't come. But he had a lot, of, a lot of fervor and a lot of excitement about his studies. And I remember he had a little pickup truck. He was a painter by trade. And a little pickup truck is a Nissan or Toyota. And, a, and he, he wrote, he was an artist. I mean, he, he wrote scripture verses all over the sides of that truck and the hood of the truck. And, and I, just, I just remember the very tailgate. The tailgate said in big letters, the end is not near, it's here. That's always stuck in my mind as an illustration. Yes, it was the end of the truck, but we're also living in the end of time. The end is not near, it's here. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. And let's just bow our heads for an additional word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given to us signs that tell us when the end will be. And we just pray that as we look at your word today, that you'll help us to understand and you'll help us to understand not just the times in which we're living, but also the ways in which we ought to be living. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, there's a number of signs of the end here. And as you know, these are going to be some familiar verses to many of you I know. So I'm not going to try to spend a lot of time explaining everything here in Matthew chapter 24. But I think we're familiar with the fact that the disciples asked Jesus two questions, right? Tell us, when will these things be, the destruction of Jerusalem? And what will be the sign of your coming? They thought they were talking about the same event. They were really talking about two different events that would be separated by at least 2,000 years. And so Jesus gave a bunch of signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and also the time of the end in which we're living today. Matthew chapter 24 will begin in verse 7. Matthew 24 and verse 7, and this is what Jesus said. Uh, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these things are but the beginning of birth pains. I'm reading the ESV here today. So there's to be war and political strife. In that verse, we also see that there's to be famines and unstable climate. There's going to be diseases and pandemics. Are we living in these kind of times? We are, indeed. He goes on in verse 11, and this is what he says. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow 
cold. So there will be time, there will be spiritual deceptions in the last days, in the time of the end, right? And not only that, there would be a lack of genuine love and respect for others. Are we seeing that in society? Not just in our um, in our country, but around the world. The love of many seems to be growing cold, and and the the uh, the the differences between party seems to be growing more and more, more profound and distinct. Notice with me on, on in verse 12 or verse 13, um, well, we'll just keep reading a little bit because lawlessness will be increased and love many will grow cold, but he, the one who endures to the end, will be saved. And then our scripture for today, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When Paul was writing the Apostle Timothy, he said, when he talks about the things that would happen in the last days, he said, he said something similar about the love of many waxing cold or growing cold. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, but understand this, that in the last days will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's not talking about the world, it's talking about the church having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the signs of the times, fake Christianity, and finally here in Matthew chapter 24, we also see celestial signs. If we were to outline Matthew 24, you would notice that the first 14 verses describe what will take place both before the destruction of Jerusalem and also before the end of the world. Then there's a number of verses talking about the destruction of Jerusalem specifically. And then there's a number of verses talking about the great tribulation or the, the dark ages we sometimes refer to them in medieval time when for over a millennia, the, uh, or over a millennium, the, the church was persecuted by the, uh, well, by the church, uh, the, the God's people, the truth was persecuted by the professed church. And then we come to the last part of this, uh, these signs here in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to start reading with verse 29. Matthew 24 and verse 29, and this is what the, uh, what the words of Jesus were. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, speaking of the great time of tribulation, the 1260 years of persecution the church was going to face, immediately after the tribulation of those days, he says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall, fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the sign of the sun in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters of mine this morning, Pathfinders, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that Jesus is coming again. Don't we? Do we believe Jesus is coming again? Is it just a faded hope, or is it our fervent dream? Is it something that we're very... Do we really believe it? That the sky is going to part and Jesus is going to be seen sitting on the clouds and, 
And with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, the, the dead are going to be raised and we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do we believe that? Jesus here says that there would be signs that would precede that in, this, in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, if we look at these passages, we'll notice that these celestial signs are found in each of the Gospels. Um, well, at least by each of the gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they, they all record this same passage and the same celestial signs in the exact same order. Do you think that's just happenstance? You know, some of the gospel writers remembered something a little bit different as they were recording the stories of Jesus. Maybe one story is in one, one gospel, but not in the other gospel, right? Because we don't believe that the Bible is verbally inspired. We believe, it's, we believe in plenary inspiration. The thoughts were inspired, right? And is it really that important whether there's signs in the sun, moon, and stars, or the sun, stars, and the moon? Well, evidently, evidently, you can make of it what you will, but in all the gospels, the order is exactly the same. It's not just celestial signs, but signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And John does not include this in his passage, but you'll notice that here in the book of Revelation, John does record the same signs in the same order right before the heaven is unrolled as a scroll and islands and mountains disappear and, and then Jesus is seen in the clouds. And John, in Revelation chapter 6, John tells about that with the addition of a great earthquake that is to precede these signs. So maybe God has something he wants us to pay attention to here as we look at these signs. And I know this is going to be review for some of you, but you know what I've, I've found? I've found that sometimes we don't review what we believe often enough. So I'm going to do a quick review of these signs and how they were fulfilled. You remember in 1755, the Lisbon earthquake shook somewhere to the west of, of Europe. It was actually felt in North America. But it's, it's, it's named the Lisbon earthquake because there on the coast of Portugal, the most severe damage was felt as a 15-foot-wide fissure opened up in the middle of the city square. Buildings collapsed and began, the city began burning and people rushed out of the city center where they perceived the danger was down to the shoreline because there was open space there and they were getting away from the buildings and unfortunately, sometime later, a large tsunami, some say it was 60 feet tall, the wave, the initial wave, two more followed, but 60 foot tall wave hit the city of Lisbon and the city was basically demolished and thousands lost their lives. Um, it was an estimated, we estimate today, that this would be an eight, between eight and a half and nine on the Richter scale. And you'll remember that every Every uh, tenth on the Richter scale is a power of 10. It's exponential. So an 8.5 to 9 is a huge earthquake by modern standards. Um, we we uh, find this in, in history and in, um, in, in culture to be a, a significant event that people read and uh, when they read the Bible and they heard about earthquakes, they certainly remembered the Lisbon earthquake. But sometime later, 25 years later, May 19, 1780, we have what we call the dark day and night. That morning, in, in, um, in farms across 
the eastern part of North America, the cows went out to the pasture, the chickens went out to scratch and peck, and about 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun grew dark. Now, I've seen a, a, an eclipse. Did anyone see the lunar eclipse that we had this week? Yeah, some of you. Um, I've seen a complete solar eclipse. Some of you have too. Uh, my first one was in, uh, I was in the country of Ghana, I believe it was. And um, there was a complete solar eclipse, and it was, it was the, everyone was excited about this. They, they had all these disposable paper glasses, and so, you know, to protect from the, from the, eye, the eyes from the sun, and, and I'll, we, were, we were there building a church, and um, we were on the job site when all of a sudden it started to look really weird, like everything turned sort of greenish, I don't know, it's hard to describe the, the color, the hue, as the, the sun began to disappear. And uh, pretty soon, in about five or ten minutes, as I recall, uh, it was dark. The cars had to have their lights on to drive. It was amazing in the middle of the day. We had to stop what we were doing, just sort of watch, you know, and wait. But about five minutes later again, and that, that darkness started to be um, replaced by a little bit of light. And, and pretty soon, in an hour or so, the eclipse was all complete and finished. And, um, you know, this was not like that eclipse, however, on, on May 19, 1780, because the, the, it didn't just get dark at 10 o'clock and then, you know, an hour later it was light again. It didn't get light again. It stayed dark. And the dark was so complete that, that some of those who experienced write about it, how, how they, could put a, they could put their hand six inches in front of their face and you could not see anything. So the cows all came back to the barns, the chickens went back to roost, and people went to their homes afraid. I mean, when the sun moves, or the sun stops shining, I should say, you begin to wonder if this might be something phenomenal. Um, as we see here, Noah Webster wrote, no satisfactory reason has ever been assigned for this darkness. There have been some today that postulate that huge wildfires in Canada might have been the cause of this darkness. But nonetheless, no matter how it happened, no matter how it happened, it happened. And people who saw this remembered the words of Jesus, that there would be suns and the signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. The astronomer John, Sir John Frederick William Herschel wrote, the dark day in North America is one of those wonderful phenomena of, of nature which will always be read up with interest, but which philosophy is at a loss. To explain, if every luminous body in the universe had been struck out of existence, the darkness could not have been more complete. So we see the earthquake, we see the signs in the sun. What about uh, the, the moon? That night, the very same night, May 19, 1780, the moon rose red like blood. And, uh, and so people who were familiar with the words of Jesus, they said, well, there's the signs in the sun and also in the moon. What about the stars, 1833, November 13? A brilliant meteor shower covered all of North America. John Loughborough, one of our Adventist, the early Adventist pioneers, he wrote uh, from his recollection of it, wherever observed, it was the same continuous shower of stars falling as thick as snowflakes in a snowstorm. Some said that the, the falling stars, the shooting stars, lit up the heavens so bright that you could read a newspaper by the light of the shooting stars. Now, I've seen some shooting stars. Have you seen shooting stars? It's pretty cool. In fact, um, I was laying in bed a couple weeks ago, and, um, and we don't have a lot, because we live near the lights of Dalton, and we don't see a lot of stars at night, but 
I actually saw a star just go right past the window. It was, well, it was, wasn't quite right past the window, you know, but it looked like it was. And um, I haven't seen that before. It's pretty cool to see. But I've never seen a, a, a shower of stars so bright that I could read by its light. And the uh, Connecticut Observer of November 25, 1833, wrote this. The editor of The Old Countryman, another journal, makes a very serious matter of the falling of stars. He says, we pronounce the rain of fire which we saw on Wednesday morning last an awful type, a sure forerunner, a merciful sign of that great and dreadful day which the inhabitants of the earth will witness when the sixth seal shall be opened. The time is just at hand, described not only in the New Testament but in the Old Testament, and a more correct picture of a fig tree casting its fruit when blown by a mighty wind, it was not possible to behold. So what I want you to hear in these, uh, these, uh, these contemporary accounts is that the people of the day saw these as the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That's important for us to recognize. They saw it as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And no wonder, because those who had been studying Bible prophecy had been reading about this for some time. We're going to come back to this idea of studying Bible prophecy. Because by the, by the 1830s, the world, I'm talking about the Christian world, and which was much of the, the Western world at that time, was enthralled with the study of prophecy. That was the focus of Christian thought in the 1800s or mid-1800s. And so commenting on Matthew 24, 29, Thomas Burnett, who wrote this book in 1697, one of the books that many of those who were studying prophecy would have been familiar with, this is what he predicted as he read the Bible account and he understood them to be literal prophecies. No doubt there will be all sorts of fiery meteors at that time, and amongst others, those called falling stars, which, though they are not considerable singly, yet if they were multiplied in great numbers, falling, as the prophet says, as leaves from the vine or figs from the fig tree, they would make an astonishing sight. We need not look upon these things as hyperbolical and poetic strains, but as barefaced prophecies and things that will literally come to pass. That is what those who read the Bible prior to that time had expected. And now when they saw it happening, they realized we may be seeing prophecy fulfilling. One of the most uh, distinguished noted meteorologists of the 19th century was Professor Denison Olmsted of Yale University. And this is what he writes, the extent of the shower of 1833 was such as to cover no inconsiderable part of the Earth's surface. From the middle of the Atlantic on the east, to the Pacific on the west, and from the northern coast of South America to undefined regions among the British possessions on the north. The exhibition of shooting stars was not only visible, but everywhere presented the same appearance. Those who were so fortunate as to witness the exhibition of shooting stars in the morning of November 13, 1833, probably saw the greatest display of celestial fireworks that has ever been seen since the creation of the world, or at least within the annals covered by the pages of history. It was an event to remember. I won't take the time, but this is from the magazine Sky and Telescope, and it takes Abraham Lincoln's diary, and the, the, the story is written about how he um, himself viewed the sign of the falling stars when he viewed it personally. Now, many people don't realize that this was not just a North America phenomenon, where a lot of people were studying the Bible, studying prophecy, and were impressed by these succession of signs. This also was viewed, not, not that, that same date, but within two weeks later, there was a falling of stars in Europe. 
On November 25, 1833, there was a fine display of falling stars on the continent of Europe in what would today be Poland or Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic, I'm sorry. Um, with them, the, the stars fell balls of fire, making the night so light that people thought that the houses near them must be on fire. At the same time, in Prince Austria, there was a falling of stars that covered a space of over 500 square miles. It was described by some as streams of fire coming down from heaven. Horses were frightened by it and fell to the ground. Many people were made sick through fear. Now, what is the point? The point is that Jesus gave these signs for a purpose. We read the account in Matthew chapter 24, but in Luke and in Mark and Luke, the same signs are given. And Luke, when he finishes these signs, he says, now when these things begin to take place, what does he say? Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The point of these signs was to bring the attention of the world to the prophecies of the Bible that were then fulfilling and to a message of Bible prophecy that would be God's last time, in time, last day movement, his last day message, the three angels message. It's centered in a prophetic understanding of Daniel and Revelation. But many people ask me this question, Chester, aren't those signs too far in the distant past for them to still be considered signs of the end? Have you ever thought that or wondered that? I mean, for us, in our concept of time, 1780 or 1833 or even 1790, all those dates, they seem way long time ago, right? I mean, I remember when I was some of your age, Pathfinders, and I thought those who were in their 30s were really old. And now I'm thinking 50 is really young. You know, we, we, all, have a, we all have a view of time and a view of a perspective of time, which is somewhat is somewhat shaped by our own experience, right? And, and, and we as human beings, we only live, I mean, the average to three quarters of a century. If we're lucky, maybe a century, right? A hundred years. And for us, we think this must be, a, must be a mistake because those signs fell a long time ago. The signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. And the end isn't here yet. What we may not be understanding is what that, those signs were trying to announce, what they were trying to accomplish the time of the end, what does that phrase mean? There's a couple of verses we want to look at, and I'm going to start with Daniel chapter 11, verse 35. Daniel chapter 11, you have the story, you have, you have prophecies of the, the Middle Ages, and I'll, I'll back up just a few verses for some context here, so you can see um, the, the, this is talking about the Middle Ages and the persecution of God's people during that 1260-year period that we often refer to as the dark ages. Verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God, who's that? Those are the people who, were, who found the scriptures, who began studying the Bible and began teaching the truth about God's word and salvation. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action, and the wise among them, among the people, shall make many understand. So there would be a movement. I believe this is referring to the Protestant Reformation that took place towards the end, but still within that time period of the, of the uh, Middle Ages. Um, the, the, the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. 
When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so they may be refined, purified, and made white. Until when? When would this stumbling by the sword, by flame, by persecution, captivity, and plunder, when would that stop? Until the time of the end. So as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand the time of the end, particularly defined by this verse, to be synonymous with the end of the close of that period of persecution, the 1260 years. In other words, 1798. And something would happen in 1798 that would, uh, that would begin to take place, verse, uh, chapter 12 of Daniel and verse 4. Daniel 12 and verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. That's the one he was writing then, the book of Daniel. And uh, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And then there's this unique phrase that you're probably familiar with. It says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So evidently at the time of the end, many would run to and fro and knowledge would increase, right? We've all heard that, I think. And often we've thought of that as the ability to get on a plane and be on the other side of the world in a few hours, right? Uh, The ability to, I mean, knowledge, explosion of knowledge, even in my lifetime, the, the way knowledge is just at our fingertips and we're saturated with information. We have information overload today. And that's not a wrong interpretation of this verse, but it's in the context of shut up the book, seal up the book, shut up the words. That's the context. And the verb that's used here that's translated many shall run to and fro, it's not actually jogging or getting exercise. A more correct interpretation of running to, to and fro would actually be leafing forwards and backwards. It's actually talking primarily here, not about the knowledge out there in the world and and all the great medical advances and going to the moon and everything else. It's actually talking about people studying a recently now unsealed book of Daniel and understanding it for the first time. Many shall leaf forwards and backwards and knowledge shall be increased. That's the prophecy of what would happen at the last days just before Jesus comes. So I believe that we are living in the time of the end. It began at the end of that 1260-year reign of the little horn, what we would, we would explain as 1798. And if you are here this morning and you're not familiar with that time prophecy or that period, 538 to 1798, and you'd like a Bible study on that, he's not gonna be happy with me. He, he will, probably will be, but talk to your pastor. He'll give you a Bible study. Um, if you'd like to know more about that, I don't have time to explain in detail the 1260-year the, the prophecy, which is found six times in Daniel and Revelation. But it's characterized, the time of the end is characterized by the unsealing of apocalyptic prophecy in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Now, we're familiar with this as Seventh-day Adventists because we, as a movement and as a denomination, we arose out of this unsealing of prophecy and a great studying of the prophetic books. So there was a, uh, after 1798, in the the early 1800s, there was a great awakening in the study of Bible prophecy. In the book, uh, Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, volume four, Leroy Froome writes this, nothing comparable to it in sheer numbers 
had appeared before. And this in itself became a recognized sign of the times and came to be looked upon as a fulfillment of prophecy. Why did God give the signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars? Because he wanted to take people who had read the book and were studying the prophecies, he wanted to show them that something was about to happen. We need to study these prophecies more. We need to understand better the times in which we're living because we're almost home, because the end is coming, the end is near. And so they began to study this. And in fact, it has been said that during the the first 30 years or so of the 19th century, there were more books on the study of prophecy, books and major papers written on the study of prophecy than had been written in the 1800 years of Christian history before that. Uh, There was an explosion of of writing. And of course, the printing press had made some of this possible. And so on both sides of the Atlantic, people were studying their Bibles. We're familiar mostly with William Miller, but there were many, many others around the world in many different faiths, Roman Catholics, Protestants, William Miller was a Baptist, but all over the Christian world, people were studying the prophecies. And even that phenomenon itself, they read their Bibles and said, wow, God said that would happen. And it's happening. We must be getting close to the end. Oh, they didn't know yet what God was trying to draw their attention to, that God was trying to draw their attention to a specific prophecy, which would be the last time prophecy, when the time of his judgment would be begin, and there would be a judgment hour message and a, a movement raised up to give three angels messages we read about in Revelation 14, the first of which says the hour of his judgment has come. It's here. We're living in the judgment hour. God was trying to focus the attention of the Christian world on the prophecies and on what he was about to do. Now, I want to just illustrate for you some of, in, in some sense, how, how pervasive or how widespread this study of prophecy was. Now, what these lines represent, for those of you too far in the back and maybe not be able to see it, each line represents the lifetime of a theologian. And um, on these lines, you can see some of the dots. See these dots on these lines? These dots represent either books or major papers written by these theologians on the subject of end-time prophecy. And so what you begin seeing here, um, this was uh, compiled, it's in the book Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers as well, but it's compiled by Leroy Froome. And as he looked and he began, when, was the first, when were these papers first written? Obviously, we read a book from 1697, but that was an outlier. Very few people were studying prophecy in 1697 like Thomas Burnett was. But you'll notice after 1798, you notice that there, there comes a, about 1820s, the first books start to be written. In the 1830s, they just start, they just start exploding um, with lots and lots and lots of books written. Now, this is not the end of that chart. It continues and it continues. These books were written, and, and people on both sides of the Atlantic, and indeed around the world, Joseph Wolfe, one of the primary expositors of Bible prophecy, who actually was given grudgingly 45 minutes between a joint, the joint uh, houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, along with the vice president who was there. They said, well, you have 45 minutes to speak. He spoke on these prophecies, and uh, something like two hours later, They were all still sitting there spellbound and they gave him a standing ovation. So Joseph Wolf was in Asia and all over the world um, sharing these these prophecies. So many, many were uh, given, uh, many were given to the study of prophecy and they were explaining the prophecies in a way that we had not understood them before. Why? 
because we were now living in the time of the end. Daniel had been unsealed and Jesus was coming soon. The judgment hour message was about to begin. Now, once again, some people will ask me, but isn't it a little bit disingenuous for God to give a, uh, these signs in the sun, moon, and stars generations before the second coming? Well, it would be if he was trying to awaken us to just the fact of the second coming. But it would not be if he was trying to awaken the world to the reality of his coming judgment, which began in 1844. Again, your pastor can share a Bible study on that with you as well. But we tend to look at these times from a very self-centered worldview, right? I mean, 50 years doesn't seem long to me now. It used to, right? What does 50 years seem like to God? So I wanna give a little illustration here for you all today, and I'm gonna ask for 12 volunteers from among the Pathfinders. Let's start with two. Okay, let's just bring two of you up here. And I need, you, um, I need one of you to go down to that end of this tape measure. And um, keep going, keep going. I need you to go about there. Maybe you can scoot, yeah, well, we'll try. Let's see if you can take that all the way to the wall over there, maybe. 25 feet. This 25 feet is going to represent, I'm gonna need you to move that chair and, and go farther that way, yeah. Just go on back, go on back. Let's come this way now, come this way. Are you 25 feet? Yeah. 25 feet, all right. Hold it tight, all right. So I need some of you, and, and you'll have to check my math because some of this, um, I need another volunteer. Let me maybe four or five more volunteers. Come up here, I need 10 more volunteers, Never mind. Come up here and get behind the tape, get behind the tape. One, two, three, four, five, six. I need four more. All right. Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. Um, right here is zero, um, zero feet, zero inches. We're gonna call that creation. For the purpose of illustration, we'll use Usher's chronology, 4004 BC, okay? And we're gonna move, move y'all down, move down that way a little bit. Our first... Yeah, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Our first event that we're gonna have is the flood. And um, we're gonna have the flood at right about six feet. So if you could just hold that, and um, you are representing the flood, okay? We're gonna come on down here to Abraham. Why don't we put Abraham right about here, okay? You're, you're, you are Abraham. And um, the Exodus, if you scoot over just a little bit here, we've got to squeeze the Exodus in here. We'll put the Exodus right, right about here, okay? Right, there's the Exodus. And then we have David. I need you to move back. Yeah, let's see, David. Right about here is good. You're in a good spot. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus is going to be, oh my, he's, let's see here. He's about here, okay? Jesus, you're Jesus. Uh, for the moment, and then we have uh, the, the rise of the little horn power, and that's going to be right here at 18 feet and 4 inches, okay? And now we're going to get to the, uh, the dark day in 1780, and um, that's going to be um, right, let's see, we're 25, 24, okay, 
Who doesn't have one yet? You, okay. So I need you step back just a little bit here. Come, use your, your left hand. Reach all the way over here. That's the dark day right here, just about 24 feet on a 25-foot tape. And then we're going to go to the, uh, the time of the end, which is just a two inches later or so. And then we're going to go to the next event. is going to be 1844, which is going to be 25, 24 feet and four inches or so. And then we're going to go to our present day, which you can hold there, which is 25, roughly 25 feet on the tape. What I want you to see here is, is this getting pretty close to the end of the tape? From just a 6,000-year perspective, let alone God's perspective, from a 6,000-year perspective, the signs of the end were pretty close to the end, weren't they? We tend to interpret it simply from our human perspective. Thank you. Why don't you just let it go on the ground, and then you all can step back to your, step back to your seats. Thank you so much for volunteering to help me and make that illustration work here this morning. What we're trying to say is that the signs of the end were very near to the end. We're living in the time of the end. Now, beloved, let me be very clear here. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't keep studying Bible prophecy. What I'm gonna say to you, and listen to me carefully, we as, we as church members should already know the times we're living in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe we should share some of these things with others in the world around us, but we already know the times we're living in. We're living in the time of the end. We're, we're off the calendar of prof the prophetic timeline. We're waiting for Jesus to come. We're waiting for that last sign to be fulfilled before his return. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and the end will come. I'm not opposed to the studying of prophecy, but I, I sometimes find that as church members, we focus on the prophecies more than we do about the purpose for the prophecies. And the purpose of the prophecies was to direct us to what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary right now. The purpose of the prophecies was to, to awaken us to the reality that we're living in borrowed time, we're living off the clock of, 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 of prophetic uh, prophecy, and we're living in the time when, when Jesus and his righteousness and what he's doing now to prepare us for that day should be our focus. I'm, I'm afraid that too often... I have seen those who were more concerned with what is happening in the world around them than they are with getting to know Jesus and becoming more like him and experiencing his righteousness, his strength, his power on a daily basis. I'm gonna close just by my conviction. My conviction is that we are living in the time of the end. The signs are thickening around us. Yes, they're increasing in frequency and intensity, but they're not telling us anything new today. We already knew. We're living in this time of Earth's history. We're almost home, Pathfinders. We're almost home. We're living in those last few inches of the tape. And Jesus is going to come again. 
And these signs that we're seeing around us today are not new, but characteristic of the time of the end. Our focus should be on Christ, not the Antichrist, on receiving the seal of God, not just on warning about the mark of the beast. Our focus needs to be on Jesus, our high priest, and what he's doing, and what he will do, and the fact that he's coming again very, very soon. I'm excited, I don't know about you, I'm excited to be alive today. Yeah, it's crazy out there. The world is getting crazier by the minute. I should say by the second, right? It's getting crazy. But it all tells me what we already knew, and that's Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when, but he's coming soon. And he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be preparing. He wants us to be letting him work in our hearts and lives, letting him be our high priest and do that work of cleansing which the judgment hour is known for. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we conclude. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you've given to us your word. We thank you for these signs that uh, I know they've been a review for many of us. But we thank you that we've been reminded that Jesus is coming again. That they did their purpose. They have done their purpose in awakening the world to the study of prophecy. And now there's a movement that rose out of that study which has a mission and a message. And that mission is to tell the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. That message is the message of the three angels. The, the hour of the judgment has come, and that God is calling for worship, not only in spirit, but in truth. And so today, Father, I just want to pray. I want to pray for this church, that it might be a light in this community, that it might be a a beacon of the truth for this time, the, the message that Jesus is coming again soon, that we're living in the time of the end. The end isn't just near, the time of the end is here. And we're living in it with a special work and a special message to give. Lord, I wanna pray for these pathfinders. Thank you for their um, dedication to you. Thank you for the work that they're putting into their different curriculum and, and honors and programs and serving you and others. Thank you for their leaders, and thank you for this church that supports them. And Lord, I just want to pray that each of these young people might, with the rest of us, be daily coming to love Jesus more. Not to get ready for his return because we're afraid he's coming soon, but to be glad he's coming soon because we love him. He's our Savior, and we've come to make him our very best friend. May that be their experience and may it be ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.